Hi everyone, welcome back to the Knowledge Pursuit Auxiliary Podcast. In this episode today, I will be talking about the AOK of history and the limitations, benefits, and implications of that AOK. So let's hop right in. So history is an interesting subject because unlike most of the other AOKs out there, such as natural sciences and human sciences or religion or or really any other AOK, history can be utilized in proving or sometimes disproving some of the limitations and benefits of the other AOKs. So for example, when we discuss history in the context of natural sciences, we can look look back on past experiments done in the field of natural sciences or even in religion which is the opposite of the natural sciences we can still look at history and utilize it to talk about the limitations benefits and implications and history is very interesting because unlike most of the other fields out there such as the hard sciences which is the natural sciences or mathematics or even compared to religion which is not really systemic it's really more about faith there is kind of a mix of both the religious side which uses faith and there's also a mix from the uh, the natural science side which uses evidence so let's get into that and when we talk about history we first need to have a difference between memory and history and they both are very interested in the past and they are both very similar because they talk about the past but there needs to be a differentiation between the two and the biggest differentiation between the two is significance so memory when we talk about it usually or usually it has to do with only one person sometimes in a community there will be a shared memory but the memory itself will most likely not be all the same because different people perceive uh, incidents in different ways especially if you're standing in different positions and looking at the same thing so clearly memory is not as broad as history because history can be taught to an entire generation and it can affect an entire generation or multiple generations if that same history is taught and another factor that differentiates memory and history is evidence and most of the time when you study history there has to be some form of evidence to prove an incident occurred or even a theory is true about history and in the case of memory, we don't see this. Memory is completely intangible and it's completely inside the mind. So those are the two differences between memory and history. Now, maybe you've realized that I'm talking about history and memory, and you might say, well, if those two differences are the or those two differences are the only things out there that differentiate memory and history, what's the point? You can just use memory. Well, there are certain benefits to studying history. One benefit of studying history is that it gives a sense of identity. And this argument is very similar in aspects between memory and history because memory gives a personal identity whereas history usually gives a national history or, excuse me, identity. And that helps to create your own identity. For example, if I was Japanese or if I was an American, my national history helps to create me as a person a uh, person and it might me it might make me feel patriotic or it might me it might make me feel extremely unpatriotic. So that's good or that's a factor in creating identity. The second reason why history or second argument that history should be studied is that history helps to protect people against bombastic statements and propaganda. 
And the reason why is because if you study history and you study history that is true and valid and credible, you tend to be able to know that certain claims about, for example, a group of people or a political party, some of those claims made of that political party or groups of people are actually false because you know the history of said political party or a group of people. So that helps in protecting not just yourself but entire nation or the world from propaganda. And the third and final argument for studying history is it enriches the human understanding of the human condition. And that helps in, well, the main reason why this argument is out there is because when you look back on events that happened prior to yourself or the existence of yourself, and you understand the decisions that people made or the decisions they didn't make, it helps to understand those decisions if you know about them and you can get a deeper understanding why those people did it and what the condition was for them to do it and it helps you to know oh this is some of the things that humans do and it helps to widen your perspective on the human capabilities and their behavior moving past the reasons to study history and all that I think now I will switch the topic over to how we study history and the process of making history. So when we make history, most of the time we take evidence. This is an important factor. And the evidence that is used to write history or create history in textbooks is divided into two groups. There are primary sources and there are secondary sources. And primary sources include journals, uh, first-hand accounts, really first-hand accounts, or videotapes that have not been tampered of the incident, and second-hand sources usually include media, or newspaper, or radio, or television broadcasts, and basically anything that talks about the incident, and happened, or it happened in relative vicinity to the actual incident. So when we look at these two types of sources, primary and secondary, what is a common problem with these uh, sources is that there is a possibility of bias, and most human beings, well, really all human beings, are not exempt from bias. If you try to find any human being who is exempt from bi bias, I, I would speculate that person also has no identity because bias usually is a heavy factor for identity or it plays a big role in making your identity. And if you don't have any bias, you're just going to be a blank slate, like a piece of paper. So most of the time, and really all the time, you're not going to find bias. And this same issue applies to primary sources and, of course, secondary sources. We see this all the time in media and newspapers. I'm pretty sure there's not a single, uh, single media source out there that is not biased in some way. But let's focus on primary sources first. So primary sources usually have three types of bias. It's called topic choice bias, confirmation bias, and national bias. So starting with the first one, which is called topic choice bias, this is really well it really has to do with the practical side of recording things so let's say there was an incident that happened yesterday where i i came home and my brother was there and we bought donuts and we went out of the house and we came back in the house because we decided to go take out the, the garbage and decided to go for a walk or something and we come back and the donuts are missing so that is a very tragic incident, and I hope that doesn't happen ever, but let's say that happened. And in that case, when I say, write in my journal that that happened, I can't include everything that happened, because if I do, there's the problem of selection. And if I were to say, oh, or if I were to just 
really make a summary of what happened, which is I went out, I came back, and the donuts were gone, which is a pretty short summary. I'm clearly leaving out certain parts of the story in which my brother was there, or what the weather may have been. It could have been sunny, or it could have been rainy. But the same problem where I'm leaving out certain parts of a story, it happens in a first-hand accounts too, and most of the time. It's caused by what we think is important, again, significance, and it's a personal significance. And in my case, the donuts being gone was more important than the weather being sunny or my brother being there altogether. So these factors, or not factors, but these important details become lost when you choose what you decide to write about, and that's called topic choice bias. And there is a difference between treatment versus choice when we choose something, and. When we make textbooks, or not when we, but when people, usually historians, make textbooks, they choose certain topics to talk about. For example, in a World War II history book, they might decide to talk about Auschwitz and the Holocaust, but they might decide to leave out how Hitler and Mussolini did a treaty together to work together. And just because you choose certain topics. Over another topic, that doesn't mean the topic itself is invalidated. It still exists. It's just not being told. So it's not more of that history is being lost when you choose certain aspects or certain parts of history. It's just that you don't learn about it more, and the history or the historical incident itself still remains valid. And the second bias, which I talked about, called confirmation bias, is not completely limited to the. AOK of history, but it is very prominent there too. And confirmation bias is when you only select evidence to support your claim, but you don't take into account evidence that may dis or it might disregard your claim, or it might prove your claim to be wrong. And this happens when you talk about evidence, and you purposely pick evidence, and you don't want your claim to be disproved, which is why you specifically choose evidence that helps you to support your claim. And that is not a good idea because clearly you're not pursuing truth; you're just pursuing a fake truth that you are synthesizing. And the final bias, which I will talk about today, which is called not or national bias, is a bias that an entire country has instilled into a citizen, usually a citizen of a country. Most of the time, this happens when there is heavy propaganda into a country, and this happened a lot in Germany during the Second World War II and before it. About five years before, and World War II itself was not a sudden incident. There was certain buildups to the attack of Germany into Poland when they did it in 1940. And, excuse me, 1939. And six years prior,、uh, Hitler had actually begun to come to power. So clearly, there's a little buildup there. And during that whole time, all the way from 1933 to 19. 39. There was propaganda, and there was actual indoctrination of the students and younger generations of Germany, and they were heavily influenced by this propaganda, and they probably had a national bias, which is Germany is the best country in the world, and we should, or from the point or perspective of the younger generations of Germany, they probably were indoctrinated to think that we should rule the world because we are the best. That's a national bias that has been instilled into their brains, and clearly, that's going to affect how they think and how they perceive the world. I mean, that led to one of the biggest wars in recent history, and 
Those are the main three biases. And these biases usually happen, well, not usually, they do happen when we write history. And that's a major issue when we write history. Another issue when it comes to the AOK of history is known as hindsight bias. And before I talk about hindsight bias, I would first like to talk about hindsight because that will help our conversation. And hindsight is known as when you look back on an incident and you think about it and reflect on it. It's also known as retrospect, which is almost the same, but it's not quite because hindsight is not the same as uh, retrospect. But when it comes to hindsight and hindsight bias, it's when you look back on an incident that historical figures or well, really, historical figures have done in the past, and you say that was a very silly thing to do, or it was not smart. But there is a certain issue here when we talk about smart or not smart. And the big issue is the only reason we can call it smart or not smart is because we know what would happen or what would transpire after said decision that the historical figure did. And that's not fair to one of the historical figures because they wouldn't know it, what they're doing is wrong or right. And from our point of view, we have the privilege to look back on the past and we have the privilege to stand in the future of the incident. And it's not fair to call what they did silly or wrong or right or okay because they wouldn't have known the future. And we have the privilege of knowing the future, which is the only reason why we can say that. And another problem that arises from hindsight bias is we think that we will not make the same problems or we will not make the same mistakes in our own decisions. And that is not a really good way to go about thinking about the future because, for one, we don't know the future. It's virtually impossible to tell what history will be in the future, even though there are two theories known as the great person theory and the economic determinism theory, which I will talk about later, that supposedly can tell how history moves. And going to the first theory, which I just said, the great person theory, it states that history is driven by individuals who are great and spectacular, and they move history forward in certain directions. Now, there is a difficult part to this theory where you say great person theory, because one, there is in history something known as empathy. And empathy is known as when you sympathize with a person and you think, the same or you feel the same things to an extent as they do and this can be a little difficult to do with the monsters of history for example Hitler or Stalin or Mao who altogether killed more than a hundred million people they they are very difficult to sympathize and empathize with because they've done atrocious actions and their behavior would not be tolerated in really any society and when you think about these great people even they might not be good people, but they certainly have been great people and they were very big people in history. It'd be very difficult to say, well, these people moved history forward and they were the great people who did it. Because for one, the definition of great is called into question. Are these people really great or are they just significant? Are they really good or are they more of atrocious? And that's a very big problem with this great person theory. However, just because the great person theory might not make sense, that doesn't mean that the history or the history that we know is not driven by great people. There are people out there in history who did move history forward. For example, uh, off the top of my head, I can say Henry Ford helped create the, the factory line so mass production would be possible. Or I could say that uh, the Egyptians who made hieroglyphs and they made the pyramids, which would 
really influence a lot of other architecture in the West and the East. So clearly, there are instances in which great people have moved history forward, and even in the case of Hitler or Stalin or Mao, in essence, they have moved history. I don't know if it has moved forward or really backward, but they have moved history. Moving on to the second theory that I just said, which is called economic determinism. This theory was created by Karl Marx, who also made the Communist Manifesto, and he was the father of modern-day Marxism. He somewhat claimed that history is driven by economic factors, and if you take into account the technology and the ideologies and the economic status of a certain era, you can determine the future. And he actually made several claims where he, well, he claimed that he would know when certain scientific claims and discoveries would be made. But when you claim that you know when a scientific histor or scientific discovery will be made, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And Karl Popper pointed this out because when you make a claim that you know when a certain scientific discovery will be made, in essence, you are making that discovery now. So let's say I claim tomorrow the light bulb will be discovered. Why isn't it discovered now? I just said it will be discovered tomorrow. So it doesn't make practical sense when you say I know when something is going to be discovered, because you've just discovered it. So that's a major issue with economic determinism, which Karl Marx said. And another issue is that the claims that he said have not come true. So clearly, it's not really economics that drive history, and it's not clearly great people. Besides these two factors that help to drive history forward, which is the economics, and then there's the great individuals, there is also one tiny factor that plays a significant role, or role in history, and it's known as chance. And when you look at history and what has transpired in the past, there are certain instances where chance played a great role in defining history. For example, in the case of Christopher Columbus sailing across the ocean to find the Americas, North America. I think he landed in the Bahamas, but in that case, there was completely up to chance that he would not run into a storm and sink and never find America, North America, and it was completely up to chance to not send a storm. So when you look at history, there's a mix of these three factors: the economic factors and the individuals and chance. Now that I've talked about a lot of the aspects of history and what historical knowledge is, I think I'll expand on the concept of historical knowledge and information regarding history. So, looking past just the AOK of history, when we look at the natural sciences, or when we look at religion, or when we—well, not exactly religion, but when we look at the human sciences, or really any other AOK—there is an argument that can be made that all knowledge, or really any AOK, any AOK, can be considered uh, historical knowledge. The reason behind this is because most of the knowledge that is used in the world and utilized is historical, and it's important here to remember the distinction between memory and history. The knowledge that is used in many AOKs, such as natural sciences, does have evidence to prove it and evidence to back up what is being said, and that's one of the main reasons why, and the main points why, a lot of the AOKs are historical. So clearly, history is much more important than what some people may claim it is, which is nothing. Well, I hope this episode has brought you some comprehension about history and how it is made. If you don't understand anything that I did say or said in the past, really historically, then you can 
put whatever questions or comments you may have in the comment section of the platform you happen to be listening to. I'll make it my duty to answer as many of those as I can, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!